welcome to Cookie Pocket. This podcast is about film. It is. Here we are, season two, and uh, we're, we're all very excited to, to bring you more content. Uh, I'm Christian, joined, of course, by Zach and Mitchell, uh, my, my two friends and co-hosts. And uh, here we go. Um, yeah. our, our season debut, we will be discussing Scott Pilgrim versus the World, uh, uh, directed by Edgar Wright, which in theaters was sort of a bomb but has uh, become something of a cult classic thanks to a resurgence on streaming and sort of a discovery from a, a new generation of insufferable Gen Z people. Okay, <laughs> so well, with that being said, um, let's get to general impressions. What did you guys think? Ratings out of five? And uh, yeah, it's, it's good to be back. I hope you're both doing well. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite well. Um, I guess since I spoke first, I'll give my thoughts on the film. <laughs> yeah, you better. Um, <laughs> I So this time around, I gave this movie a 4 out of 5, as opposed to last summer when I gave it a 3 out of 5. Yes. But that comes with the caveat that a lot of this movie I don't really enjoy that much. Um, this is probably my least favorite Edgar Wright film, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. Mm, and I give it a four out of five because it's undeniably well made. It's incredibly well edited and well shot. Uh, there's so much effort put into every single moment and every single frame. This is like a, the perfect graphic novel adaptation. It brings its influences from anime and video games and classic cinema together brilliantly. The cast is amazing. Everything about this movie is basically the best that it could be. But I think because the movie is so much that one thing, it's very easy to not enjoy this movie. Uh, I don't blame anybody that thinks this movie is obnoxious or too much or always on or draining because it undeniably is and can be. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sort of drained by bits of this movie and often spend moments saying, okay, let's, let's slow down. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it definitely perfectly executes what it wants to be and I think what it wants to be can entertaining. It's just not always entertaining to me. Sure. Fair enough. Mitchell? Um, if I had to, like, if I had to, like, make a movie based off of a dream I had about what 2010 was like and, like, <laughs> try to put that together in, into, like, anime, it's like, Street Fighter form. <laughs> and, and, like, but, like, I was on something when I was... When I was making it, and everything accidentally fast-forwarded like 1.25. That's basically that's basically what happened with this film. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was I was definitely like confused a few times. Not like confused like the audience is supposed to be as confused as Scott is, which I appreciate, but more like confused as to where like what the end goal is because sometimes there's like there's just like constant there's constant action and constant like just random crap happening <laughs> and it's like <laughs> and I, i'm like well now really my biggest problem this kind of goes in my biggest problem but i gave this film a three and a half out of five by the way by the way which by the way but by the it. way um <laughs> and the reason why i was planning on giving it a four i knew i wouldn't get it give it a three i knew it deserved more than that mm -hmm. but I, I i was comfortable with my you know christians slash mine three and a halves <laughs> yeah um, and i think it kind of stemmed that my biggest problem stems from not only that it's just exhausting for me personally um just to see so many colors and stuff it's like 
like fairly odd parents I can't even watch anymore because it's just constant noise <laughs> and things happening. Mm. But I feel like the the speed at which everything happens and the efficiency at which the plot and character development comes out um, hinders the value uh, that of the actual like lessons that the film could be teaching. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the the zaniness and just craziness and like otherworldliness of everything is really cool and like is an awesome visual spectacle, especially with how good the cinematography was and the music and and you know things like that and just just the way that I feel like this is like a video game film that was done really well, um, being an adaptation. But just I feel like just having so much like meaningless things happening kind of just makes me not really care how the film ends. <laughs> And the film almost acknowledges it in a way because, it's spoiler, uh, <laughs> like the way that the way that uh, it happens with Knives and Ramona at the end, and it's just like I really could not care less either way if he goes with either of them, if it, whether it's ironic if he goes with Knives or it's comforting if he goes with R- Ramona. I just I just don't care anymore. It's like so much crazy stuff has happened at this point. Like if I was a kid, I'd be really happy regardless. So I yeah. feel like the film definitely like reminds you it's supposed to you know it's you can be a kid and enjoy this, but like it's just somebody who wanted to appreciate a lot more that the film could have offered. Um, I feel like a three out of five was justified, and I feel like everything out like the actual gra- graphic novel adaptation portion of it is basically perfect. Like I've never seen anything like this in that regard. Um, and I think it does all of that extremely well. And the, and the jokes, the humor was actually really good as well. I, I yep. thought it was kind of funny um, at a yes. lot of moments. Uh, kind of funny. That's my quote of 2020. <laughs> I'll take it, man. I was so, I was <laughs> but, so worried that, th- that you would hate no. it or that it would be too much like the people that we don't enjoy spending time with. <laughs> no, it was a, it was wholly natural, totally fine. But, like, even that, like, the natural jokes and stuff, just, like, the fighting and everything was really cool. But, like, seeing it so many times in a row... It's like, I already know how what's going to happen. Like, there's no point in me watching this. Mm-hmm. I know it looks really good. But that after after that, it's like every fight's just like, it, just because it looks really good and was really well choreographed and stuff. But it's like, it, it just degrades the meaning of the film, in my opinion. But yeah, still, yeah. still a very good film. Highly, highly recommend. Um, especially if you're like, you know, if you miss the 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I think you guys made a lot of fair points that I mostly agree with. Um, I gave this a 4.5 out of 5 because I really like it, and I personally am not exhausted by it for the most part, um, though I totally understand why someone else might be, and I, I think everything you guys said is is totally applicable. Um, I think, um, Mitchell, you were sort of going in this direction when you were talking about the fighting and how at some point it becomes like a little bit predictable or um, like you're going through the motions, I guess. And I do think one of the biggest weaknesses that I realized um, on this rewatch which I think is maybe the third or fourth or fifth time I've mm-hmm. seen this, um, was that the first three evil exes, in my opinion, are so much more interesting than the last four. Mm-hmm. And um, like the Katyanagi twins are totally glossed over and basically just used as a stepping stone yeah. to Gideon. Exactly. I totally and, forgot about them. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was such a flash. Like if you look away for two seconds, you just forget the entire yeah. scene. It's, it's, it's a cool scene. Like the speaker, yeah. the, the amp versus amp is really cool, but I totally mm-hmm. forgot that they were even evil exes. Like I thought right. they were just another challenge on the way to Gideon. Yeah, you don't even like, get any they? backstory Fight from them. Ramona <laughs> about their relationship or anything. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, that was, that was a big weakness. And then the other thing is like, Every other time I've watched this, I've I've really liked Scott. I'm I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but I did. I like the character a lot, and this time I just felt awful for Knives the entire time. 
Mm-hmm. I just felt terrible for her. You know because... who else I feel bad? Oh, sorry. You go no, ahead. no, go for it. Go for it. Uh, I was going to say, I also feel bad for Ramona because uh, mm. Ramona kind of just stood around uh, during the Gideon fight. And like, yeah. one time she did something, he was like, no, screw you. And then she falls down the stairs. I'm like, wow, that was like, <laughs> like that was painfully, yeah. like, you know demeaning to her i was like geez like (laughs) and i know it's like a part of the story like she has to be in that kind of role and i don't feel like she's restricted in that role necessarily like obviously she's very independent and things like that but like it was just for some reason that one scene made me really realize that i was like wow ramona's like literally just an object being pursued most of the time which is like i don't even want to make that realization because i knew that wasn't like you know a push point necessarily there's, there's some really unavoidable, kind of uncomfortable, your princess is in, a, in another castle type stuff going on with Ramona <laughs> yeah. in that final fight. And she does show some agency when she takes out her big mallet and starts fighting knives, but she's fighting knives. So she's yeah. kind of fighting a pointless fight, and it's not really for herself. I would have liked to see her maybe exercise a little more agency to accomplish her own goals in that final battle. Um, but yeah. then again, I don't know how much of that is drawn from the original graphic novels and, and whatnot as well. Yeah, I mean, I get. I think the only point in which she's really like, I don't know. I guess assertive would be a word you could use is when she is basically taking the reins, fighting Roxy because Scott doesn't want to hit a girl, <laughs> and um, which is is fun, I guess. Um, and I also did want to briefly touch on the differences between this and the comic book. Uh, have either of you read any of the seven books that there are? Uh, no, nope. none. Okay, yeah, um, I don't blame you. Um, I've read them once, uh, like two, maybe three years ago, and they're good. Highly recommend them. There's a lot more that goes on. Like, there's a whole other character that's a pretty big love interest for Scott, and it goes into, like, um, a little bit into his high school days, and um, there's more Envy stuff, and there's more Kim stuff, and at some point, like, Kim and Knives are, like, kind of a thing, and, yeah, there's a lot more going on. Mm -hmm. But... um, in terms of characterization, they really nail it. The only difference uh, that I thought was really noticeable is uh, in the comic book, Ramona is a little more... Um, she In both, she has this kind of like mysteriousness, and Scott is definitely like drawn by um, how she doesn't really like talk about herself a lot or doesn't totally feel open. But uh, in the comic book, she's like a little bit more like open to Scott in terms of like... Um, being like more flirtatious t- back towards him and being like a little bit more of a Zoe Deschanel character than like um, an antisocial um, uh, Amazon.ca delivery person. <laughs> so, um, but I kind of, th- I kind of like that said, I, I do like Mary Elizabeth Winstead's approach and I think it, it does, it makes more sense because Michael Chara is just so earnest all the time with yes. her. So, it would probably be a little exhausting if they were both just like heart eyes at each other the whole time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, a, 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 a big part of this movie, at least for me, uh, in terms of the, the enjoyment is the music, of course. Um, uh, not, not just um, Scott's band, uh, Sex Bomb, not Sex Bombs, Gideon, get it right. And uh, a bunch of other groups here and there, like we got the little, some synth action from the Katinagi twins and we've got Crash and the Boys including the girl drummer, who's also a boy. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Uh, and of course, Envy Adams group, Clash at Demon Head. So I wanted to ask you guys, what did you make of the music? What did you make of the soundtrack? Um, and when I ask this question, I mean both like the songs we actually see performed by the characters and the songs that are 
uh, otherwise chosen to be included in the background. Um, did, did they make sense to you? Did they elevate your experience or were you just kind of indifferent? I, I, I would say it flowed really well. <laughs> I stole the reins. <laughs> did, yes. I think it flowed really well because if you're like kind of like a semi-depressed, you know, young in your 20s kind of, you know, growing up at that time, um, and you're kind of into like, you know, 90s kind of grungy, alt-rock, you know, off-tune type stuff, then that, I think it matched the vibe perfectly, and I think the, you know, how aggressive it can get and how, like, loud and thrashy it can be during the fight scenes matches the fight scenes and the tonally and in every other way. I have no criticisms for it. If anything, it definitely helped. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the music. Um, I can't say that I was familiar with any of the songs they might have been using. I know that um, the song that, that uh, Brie Larson sings, I know, is like a song that people like. I don't know. I, I couldn't say who it would buy previously. But, you know, I, I, I enjoy the music in this film. I think it works. I also like how each of sort of the bands and the artists that perform the music have like their own visual style and a different way they're blocked and filmed in order mm. to be associated with that style um i like how the movie as sort of visually associates itself with songs and music in the way that characters move and the way that it's edited uh particularly something i noticed in like the intro i, I love the way that he doesn't move like this when he just walks around but i love the way that when scott plays he moves and like poses like a gorilla's character like he like throws his limbs out in like awkward ways and like spreads yeah. his legs in like a way that you'd see in like the the video to Clint Eastwood or something like that, <laughs> uh, which I thought was really fun uh, and kind of a nice like animation comic book style detail that you'd see in a in a typical Edgar Wright film, which is all about kind of clashing those forms of media. Yeah, totally. I I agree. I I really love the music personally. <laughs> Shocker. Um, one of my favorite little notes in terms of like stylistic things is when at the very beginning of the amp versus amp when scott starts the riff he like he leans into the mic and he's like this is the beginning of the song and that'll <laughs> I, that I do like every, that yeah <laughs> every time um yeah okay so in many ways the the plot i guess as as loose and occasionally meaningless as it may feel um credit to mitchell's point um the plot is sort of revolving around the evil exes and scott's pursuit of Ramona and um, I guess uh, <laughs> fights between each individual. So um, I'm, I'm getting back into my uh, basic Christian wheelhouse here. Mm. Who was your favorite evil ex and mm. why? And this can mean um, I'll, I'll let you guys decide what favorite means. It could mean your like the character you liked the most or the character that did the most for the film for you or, or however else. Um, I, I would say the one that I remember the most is, um, I think he's the second evil ex, uh, uh, Chris Evans, yes, uh, when Lucas he shows Lee. up. Um, I, I like that battle. I like, I like, I like his characterization for one thing. I like a lot of the jokes that are built around it. Um, <laughs> at one point they say that they're filming one of his movies in Toronto and somebody goes, they make movies in Toronto, which yeah. is, is funny as somebody who follows films because they film in Toronto all the time when they want to cut cost for movies filming in America. Um, and Scott Pilgrim was filmed and set in Toronto. Um, mm -hmm. So that adds another kind of meta joke. I also think my favorite character in the film, Wallace, 
has a lot to do <laughs> in that scene that I think is really funny. So I, th I think that battle with uh, Lucas Lee is kind of what brings all the characters of the movie together in an interesting way. There's a lot of great jokes at the expense of filmmaking and the, at the expense of kind of the movie that they're making. Um, so I would say that, that is probably uh, my favorite Evil X or Evil X scene in the film. I cannot believe Wallace is your favorite. I never would have guessed that. that Kieran Culkin makes this me. movie for me. I, I, I think he's, he's the best thing in this movie for me. I love his performance wow. in this. Well, yeah. I mean, I think he's great. I just never would have guessed that he was your favorite. That's that's hilarious. Um, sorry. Go ahead. I like Matthew Patel. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I thought he was kind of odd. It, that was when I was like, okay, I, I, I really, I've officially declared I have no idea what's going on in there. And he was, he was the first guy. He really did it in for me with the sideburns and striped shirt. I think that was pretty much it. Um, I think, I think his, his presentation was the most impactful because you had no idea how any of this was going to play out, and he really established how the fights were generally going to go. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, he had, like, his own, like, bit thing going on, like, a music... It was almost like a music video for, like, like two seconds. Like, out of a Bollywood seconds. film, yeah, yeah. With the... What was it? Like, the demonic something... Chip the demon hipster chicks. Demon hipster, hipster chicks, chicks. <laughs> right. You know, I was like, wow, I'm just really confused right now, and I know I'm supposed to be, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> In that moment, I thought that whole... I remember the entire fight and everything, so it was just very memorable for me, and his performance was really good. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I do think that has the benefit of being the first uh, encounter. And I, I've, I, I already said, um, I don't know if I said that the other thing was, was the funniest part of the movie, but I do think the, the genuinely funniest joke to me in the entire film is, is Scott skimming Matthew Patel's email and Matthew Patel telling oh. him that he will pay for his insolence. That kills me every time. I like um, a girl with hair like this. That's one of my, but in any Edgar Wright movie, you can just talk about the visual gags and the jokes and which ones are your favorite because there's so many in every single yeah. Edgar Wright film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really need to get on more Edgar Wright stuff. I've only seen this and Baby Driver, and I guess maybe 10% of Ant Man is his. We Sad. gotta do the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, stay tuned, listeners. Anyway, <laughs> um, um, well, I guess I should answer my own question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I really i really agree with you guys i think those two are the strongest I, 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 but um to give a different answer i'll say um uh todd ingram the the envy's bass player and also also kind of a cheat answer but if i were to include envy because i guess she is scott's ex then i would choose her because i actually really like brie larson's performance a lot because yeah. um mm -hmm. inauthentic actually makes a little bit of sense for the character Oh yeah. Sorry, sorry, yep. sorry. Mm -hmm. I no, had to no, say no, it. Nope. But I do think it's true. Like she is she uh Scott like talks about how she used to be called Natalie and mm. was I mean in in the most broad sense used to be like a pr a person that was approachable and um instead she's like this this comically um egoistic person now. And um it's funny and then it's actually kind of sad um, yeah. in the falling action following the battle. And um, which is a really nice touch because the film right, rightly focuses on the seven X's and Ramona story wise. But um, we do get like at least a touch of the Envy Adams subplot in the comics, I guess. Um, and they even made a spinoff called Captain Marvel. I think people really <laughs> enjoy that. I, I would, we don't talk about that here. <laughs> I think the movie does a great job of um, 
characterizing her though because you want to see yeah. more of her like i, I want to see what happens to her and i want to see more of her and mm -hmm. uh scott's relationship and i also think i'm getting back to individual jokes again one of the funniest lines of the movie though happens when they're facing x number three um and the vegan police show up and they tell him <laughs> gelato is not vegan it's it's milk and eggs bitch like that's a great yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I love how they literally just their their fingers are their guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they're vegan, so they can do whatever. Yeah. Of course, because yeah, it just makes them better than most people. Yeah, yep. Uh, uh, we've already touched on this a bit, but um, I, I I wanted to mention a little anecdote. Um, while I was watching the movie, my dad sort of came downstairs and watched some of it with me, and um, was doing some like low level research on the production, I guess, and. Two things really stuck out to me. Um, one, like Zach said, this was shot in Canada, and they got a massive um, tax rebate. Like, oh, yeah. like I want to say the budget was like eighty or ninety million, but after the the sort of tax acceptances, it was sixty. So, uh, yeah. oof. oof. Um, and also, apparently, cannot confirm this, but um, according to this article my dad sent me, apparently the studio execs did not want Michael Chera, but rather wanted Seth Rogen to play Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, no. Awful. Oh, I have no. no conversation. This is not This is not some deep... Uh, this is nothing to do with cinema. I just needed to take a minute where we all commiserated over how, how awful it would have been. Would, <laughs> his, would his gay roommate be Seth... Ro Wait, I mean, uh, 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 James Franco? Oh, no. That would have been <laughs> so terribly... Oh, uh, no. <laughs> Just take the cast from the interview. I okay. I could see. Put it in here. I could see James Franco in the role of Wallace more than I could see Seth Rogen in the role of Scott. Yes. Yes. I mean, me too. I, I really liked Wallace too, by the way. I, yeah. I think Wallace, Wallace, Wallace is great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to, uh, and of course, um, I'm sure all of our listeners already know this, but I'll but I'll remind those that don't. Um, Zach is a is a film student, and uh, in many ways is a. It's kind of got the uh, the uh, the book smarts uh, as I as I straighten up the glasses that aren't on my nose. The the book smarts of, of cinema. So um, in terms of, of Edgar Wright's direction, which um, you know really makes the film, I guess, stylistically, but also just as a leader, him putting his foot down and insisting that Seth Rogen not be Scott. Thank God. <laughs> um, uh, what what sticks out to you in terms of his direction? Um, the most what what really uh characterizes it as an edgar wright film i know we talked about the gags and stuff but um and i guess maybe i'm asking for more nitty-gritty about the technical things that go into it but uh, uh that, I'll, that's, I'll a, that's a me question yes exactly. okay um <laughs> well i think it, for edgar wright's style i think is very reliant on pop culture uh, even his very, very early stuff like Spaced that he did for, I think, ITV on a very, very low budget. It's all about working in those references. It's all about uh, editing to music and to references and to other forms of media. Uh, it, it's it's very much kind of a an MTV style of filmmaking <laughs> um, where you're incorporating things from music videos or you're incorporating things from video games and really kind of making a clash of all forms of media at once. Um, I'd say in other places his direction has a little more consistency um, and isn't quite as stylized. Uh, like the Cornetto trilogy. The Cornetto trilogy has a lot of a lot of callbacks. That's one thing that really characterizes Edgar Wright 
everything is set up and everything is paid off. Even the littlest things um, are brought up earlier in some way, shape, or form. Lots of gags in the background. I, I'd say detail is something that really characterizes it. Like in this, in this film, um, they are... All right, I'm getting into nitty-gritty technical here. Like you asked. There's, Bring it on. There's two types of lenses that you would typically shoot a movie on. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Typically, you would shoot a movie on either spherical or anamorphic lenses. Uh, oh, my. Those spherical lenses create a 16 by 9 image that you can crop however you want to. There's some kind of distortion around the edges, but it, it's the typical image that you see when you're shooting something in 16 by 9. Anamorphic lenses are, um, how do I describe this? Anamorphic lenses are more cylindrical. So they basically film an image that is rectangular, and then they compress it, and then that image is puffed back out when it's put onto film uh, and projected. Um, so John Carpenter always films on anamorphic lenses. And some of the sort of traits of uh, anamorphic um, is wide shots have this kind of cylindrical bend to them, um, and also lens flares have this really streaky blue texture, which is how you can tell that they're filming on different lenses in this, to give a different kind of style to different scenes. So that's another thing in, in terms of detail for this movie, an Edgar Wright touch. One scene, you're walking along, you're on spherical lenses, it's all normal, and then all of a sudden, the aspect ratio changes, and you've got these great big kind of streaky lens flares that add effect to that one scene, and then we pop back. Um, it's, it's things like that, that sort of eclecticism and freneticism that I think really mark an Edgar Wright film um, and kind of lead them to stand out from other films that might be trying to be movies like that but aren't willing to go all the way. Wow, yeah, that was very interesting, honestly. Um, thanks for that. Um, I, it is... Uh, and now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, from an effects perspective, it doesn't really feel like it's much lower budget than, like, no. an MCU movie, I guess. Because, yeah. I mean, I, they don't really approach effects in the same way, but it, they never felt, like, cheaper or, uh, from an audience perspective, ineffective. Like, the action always feels, like, right there. And um, it, it's it's equal parts uh, comic booky and video game-ish, and it all kind of hodgepodges together well. So stylistically, I think that's a, a huge plus. Yeah. Um, all right, that's about um, all that I have to discuss um, specifically about Scott Pilgrim. But it being season two, we've got some new tricks up our sleeves oh. um, in the form of, of what I like to call segments or what others might call bits. But I, I, I like to think that we'd all agree that they can be called fun. Uh -huh. hey. Okay. So I'm going to leave now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Michelle. Wait, Zach, is that thing you said, is, is that going to be on the test next week? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is my college course on, on filmmaking, one-on-one. Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the screen was the... moving around. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It's on the syllabus, Mitchell. Maybe if you could... Oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> Maybe you should read ahead. <laughs> Wait, how important is attendance? I don't even know. <laughs> All right, I don't want to take away time. Go ahead, Christian. That wasn't a segment, but it was a bit. See, yes. these, and it was fun. Advances. And it was fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, Season two. Woo! Yay. Oh, we take ourselves so seriously here. All right. Um, our first new segment is uh, what, what Zach would like to call, uh, or what we'd all like to call a week in review, I, I suppose. Um, yeah. Zach, do you want to give a, a brief 
overview of, of what this might entail. Sure. Uh, well, after uh, after season one, I thought, wouldn't it be kind of interesting to discuss other things on the show besides the one film that we're focusing on that episode? So I decided, why don't we introduce this little segment called Weekend Review, where over the course of a couple minutes, we can all have a chance to discuss any form of media that we've consumed since the last episode, and kind of give a brief discussion about it, what we recommend, what we don't. Others can ask questions about it. Um, kind of just a chance to throw something out there other than the one single film that we're talking about for the episode. Totally. Awesome. Um, with that being said, um, who would like to start? Not it. <laughs> uh, Mitchell, did, did you have something you wanted to discuss? <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I changed my mind about what I originally decided to discuss. I figured Ooh. what oh. I'm about to say makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the past week, um, instead of going to sleep at a reasonable time, I have to make sure I get my Hannibal in. Um, I've oh. been watching Hannibal. Um, I'm halfway through season two. There are three seasons. Um, I've never read Red Dragon, but I've read you know bits and pieces of it. Um, and I'm like heavily invested in the show now. Yeah. Um, I, I think Hannibal Lecter is probably like the best TV villain I've ever seen, honestly, like pretty much hands down. Um, I think the way that the show handles psychoanalysis and things like that is so intriguing. And not only just cause like, like the murders and the way that they're like planned out and everything are really intricate and like, there's always like a, a way to psychoanalyze everything. Um, and just the characters in the show, I can't really talk about, like, specifics about it, but Will Graham is a very intriguing character, and the way that he, he basically is, like, fully empathetic, where he can look at every crime scene and instantly think of himself as a murderer. So the show, essentially, for the first season, convinces you that Will is, like, it's starting to hurt him being a part of the FBI, um, and being under, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, uh, Jack Crawford, um. I didn't know he played and, Jack. Oh, wow. Yes, and he's very good at it. He's also, like, one of my favorite characters in the show. Um, and he, his authoritarian kind of outlook and his, like, you know, he has to give, has to make sure he saves lives. He's, like, focused on saving lives and stuff. And he's constantly pushing Will for each murder um, to solve the murder and, like, figure out who did what. And eventually the murders kind of get to the point where there's a copycat and that there's murders that are unassociated with the general murders that they're usually trying to figure out at the Bureau and they have to solely associate those murders with someone <laughs> um, that they know. <laughs> and just that, that plays out. And it just gets so, it opens up so fast. And there's so much complicated, like, thinking behind every single thing. And there's so many people that have their own interests that get in the way and clash all the time. And seeing Hannibal just be like, ab- you know, Mads Mikkelsen is amazing. Like, he literally, like, he just kills every scene he's in. There's always something he's doing that's so interesting. Like, he's literally, every comment he makes, he's like, oh, don't, like, you know, I'll eat your tongue if you say that again. And then they're like, ha, ha, ha. And he, like, feeds people. He literally has people at his house feeding them. And he's, like, describing it using different languages. High school. So, like, nobody, ooh, censor that word. Uh, and stuff. So, and stuff. And um, and he just does, I'm so excited, okay? But anyway, he, he just, every scene is just so interesting. And every, every episode feels massively important. And um, mm. the second season just gets even better. But I highly recommend watching at least the first season um i wow. believe it's on netflix until june 5th so um wow okay. very scary nothing happy about it christian i'm sorry um <laughs> there is no lessons to be learned uh hannibal is just terrible he's a terrible man <laughs> wow i mean that's a glowing endorsement i'll, I'll have to give it a try yeah. with that um yeah all right zach I... would you like to educate me on music now or something sure <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I just wanted to comment. I've, I've never watched Hannibal. It's been on my list for a while. But I've read all the books, and I, I do really want to see it. So your recommendation makes me eager to check it out before June. Um, but yes. as, as Christian so aptly hinted at, um, <laughs> I've been really getting into Pink Floyd recently. Um, over, over the weekend, I went uh, to my cousin's wedding. Uh, congratulations, Andrew and Alyssa, if you ever happen to listen to this. Um, <laughs> and on the way, I listened to uh, Pink Floyd's The Final Cut, uh, which is their album right after The Wall, which, other than Dark Side of the Moon, is probably their most iconic album. Um, I know people who don't really enjoy this album that much. Um, they think it's kind of self-centered and overwrought because it's basically Roger Waters, the band leader at the time, wrote it as a concept album about... Um, at the time, Britain was involved in war in the Falklands, and he wrote it as a concept album about what he saw as the betrayal of his father and other people who died in World War II for this idea of, you know, ending global conflict and now we're just doing it all over again. Um, and I, I really kind of appreciate that theme as a pacifist. Um, <laughs> and so I, I really enjoy the album kind of thematically, but also musically, I get a lot out of it. I, people have said, like, it's kind of dull, but there's... And a lot of it is kind of low-key, but there's bits on this album, uh, the choruses in particular, where Roger Waters is just belting. There's a there's an amazing saxophone solo on the song uh, "The Gunner's Dream," that oh, it gives me chills. It, I I love it. Um, I, I've really it's really grown on me since the first time I listened to it because I've listened to it maybe three or four times now. Uh, so it definitely gets a four out of five from me. And if you have any interest in Pink Floyd, uh, you know I recommend. Wish You Were Here, The Wall, Dark Side of the Moon, but Final Cut, I would definitely give a recommendation as well. Hmm. Maybe someday. <laughs> it, no, it goes on the list. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, they're they're on the long list of artists that I have not listened to enough, um, to be fair. Um, do I have anything to contribute to this, really? Um, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, in, in, in much of my time at college, um, uh, when I need something sort of playing in the background or, or, or while I'm forced to take food back to my dorm for COVID reasons or whatever, um, I, I'll, I'll occasionally throw on uh, Seth MacFarlane's Crown Jewel Family Guy. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <I laughs> Mitchell is very good at the impersonations, by yeah. the way. The show's um, okay. It's like a three out of five. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Um, and, and, and the more the longer I go, it's really, it, it very quickly and aggressively becomes like, this episode is one of the good episodes, or this episode mm-hmm. is one of the terrible episodes. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, with the terrible ones, you'll get like one or two good cutaways, but most of it is just kind of like, oh, oof. But uh, with that being said, um, you know, Seth MacFarlane is, is like, he's got this thing where he doesn't know he doesn't know when to say cut. He doesn't know when to, when to end a joke. And that's yeah, kind I mean, of like, and uh, sometimes that is the joke, as Mitchell would say, and, and <laughs> I would occasionally agree. And sometimes it's too much, as, as Zach would yes. say, and I would also occasionally agree. So, and, and also, like, um, if you're not familiar with Family Guy, it is vulgar. It is, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. for everyone. But uh, it has its moments, um, and it's good background noise. So, yeah, I guess that's what I've been up to lately. Yeah. Okay, segment done. Excellent. Uh, we have two more segments. Oh we my do. gosh, so much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you introduce this one too, Zach. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, go ahead, Zach. 
so since last season, or specifically since our holiday specials, I noticed that Christian has been really getting into what would be considered the cinematic classics, and oh, I boy. thought, oh, my stars, what a, what a great opportunity for a segment for Cookie Pocket. So I devised this new segment that I call Christian's Magical Cinema Tour. Um, so if Christian has watched a piece of classic oh, media since our last episode, during this segment, he's going to, you know, talk about it and his impressions on it and what he thought of it overall. Uh, so Christian, you have something to discuss this week yeah, for, or this sure. episode for Christian's Magical Cinema Tour. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited. This is so much pressure. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> now you know what um, I feel like in the rundown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So I guess I'll, t- to start, I'll just kind of give a, a rough sense of, of where I am. Um, uh, in terms of what I've watched recently, I really, uh, I've really gotten into Audrey Hepburn quite a bit. I'm, I'm a huge fan of her, of her style of performing. It's very, um, it's very like, I guess like there's, there's a level of innocence and naivete, but it's not, um, it's never marked by like churlishness or, um, or annoy being at all annoying or, or messy or, or not deliberate. Like, um, uh, there's there's definitely like a sort of regality to her um, ignorance, I guess, in the characters that she plays, and it's it's quite charming. Um, I've seen uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I so desperately wanted to give a five, but Mickey Rooney kind of kind of just wouldn't let me. And um, <laughs> uh, then I saw uh, uh, Roman Holiday with Gregory Peck, and that was terrific. I gave that a four point five. And I saw Sabrina with Humphrey Bogart, which was also terrific. And I gave all three of those a 4.5 out of 5. And um, she's great in all of them. And I can't wait to watch more. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll try to keep up on my classic watch list <laughs> for, for uh, upcoming episodes. Yeah, just, just to update our listeners, we might not do this every time. You know, we're not going to put a gun to Christian's head and force him to watch a bi-weekly classic. It's very much depending upon what he decides to watch, but I just thought it would be a fun thing to introduce. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, and I should mention, before we get to the rundown, that uh, we are, or at least I am no longer uh, writing my reviews on Twitter. I've moved um, all of my... Uh, other thoughts on films and, and whatnot to Letterboxd, a mm-hmm. very fun social media app oriented around um, all this stuff. Not uh, a sponsor. Not a sponsor. <laughs> not a sponsor, yeah. <laughs> Mini series and, and films, I guess you would say. Or limited series too. And um, yeah, I am I am I I don't know what my username is. That's that's really bad. <laughs> but um, CLM something I think. Yeah, okay, then it's probably CLM two four six zero one. It'll it'll and, be in the um, description below yeah, the YouTube yeah, yeah. version of this of this podcast. And I, I successfully bullied Zach and Mitchell into getting it. Now Zach really likes it. You're welcome, Zach. And um, <laughs> I got. And it I, I believe Zach and and Mitchell are are also still on Twitter, so you can yes. find him there as well. And I also wanted to make a note of saying uh, Scott Pilgrim is on Netflix, of course. And um, hopefully, I'll, I'll be keeping up with keeping you all updated as to where you can watch the things that we discuss. Yeah. And uh, with that being said. I, I think it's I think it's time for 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 a little something that, that we like to call uh, uh, the rundown. Mm-hmm. Oh man, where did those sound effects come from? It's got an updated theme <laughs> coming out yeah. of nowhere. Um, <laughs> okay, let's do this. Um, 
Uh, and and to to tell, I'm sure everyone that's somehow still here knows the rules <laughs> to this. But <laughs> 60 seconds, we berate Zach. He gives us numbers. It means something or it means nothing. We'll let you decide. Christian All thinks right. it means nothing. <laughs> Just full disclosure. Okay. <laughs> Mitchell is ready. <laughs> okay. I'll start this one. Um, okay. Three, two, one. Having the capacity to geek. Four out of five. Post iMovie graphic design phase. Four out of five. Dating a high schooler. Uh, two out of five. All characters being their own stereotypes. Four out of five. Doing a grindy thingy on a rail. <laughs> Three out of five. Aubrey Plaza is Aubrey Plaza. Four out of five. Michael Chera is Scott Pilgrim. Four out of five. Being okay with not having tea. Three out of five. Sex Bobomb. Three out of five. Antagonist Sideburns. Four out of five. The origin of Pac-Man is a pickup line. Uh, two out of five. Lucas <laughs> Lee is Captain America. Four out of five. Brie Larson as Envy Adams. Four out of five. Seinfeld bass riff. Four out of five. The future, like with jetpacks. Three out of five. Zach as Ramona Flowers. <laughs> Four out of five. What? Four out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Young Neil. Four out of five. Graphic novel is movie. Three out of five. Como who knows everyone. Three out of five. Scott accidentally being a Chad. Three out of five. I'm so sad, so very, very sad by crashing the boys. Four out of five. Ramona's hair. Four ah! out of five. <laughs> okay yes do we make it through all nice not just quite. about um yeah we missed like a few of them but we, we got the well we need more for that finale you know yeah that mm-hmm. was that was a really nice uh string of fours zach i, I quite appreciated that yeah yeah Whew. all right what did I'll... you give the you know what never mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'll just have to listen and, and rewind <laughs> ah. be okay. kind rewind <laughs> zach do you have a preview for us for our next episode uh yes uh so next episode it's my turn to discuss the film, uh, or to choose the film that we'll be discussing. So we're going to be talking <laughs> about uh, 1976's Marathon Man, starring Dustin Hoffman. Mm. I'll call this a thriller. Um, this is one of those movies that I think, uh, it's quite iconic, but I, I think it's best to go in knowing as little about it as possible, because uh, there are some very surprising moments, I would say. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything more than it's it's kind of a, sort of an action thriller, more thriller than action, that stars Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. Sounds good to me. This has been Cookie Pocket. This podcast is about film. <laughs> or something. <laughs> or something. I had fun. Hope you guys had fun. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. Au revoir. Bye. Bye.